Do you know why you should never, and I mean never, worry about whether or not you're going to get that job? The probabilities are like if you know you're qualified and you ace that interview, then you will. You know why? Because they just won't do the research. You know, you're scared like, oh my God, are they going to find that like TikTok from like three years ago? Are they going to find this embarrassing blog post that I posted in 2010? What makes you think that they're going that deep? Like, what? Just what makes you think that they are? Trust trust me. Do you know how I know? Personal experience. I have this podcast as a signature, as a sign-off to all of my emails. You know, it's automated. So, like, every time I send an email, it's just there unless I delete it, which I don't. I want people to find this motherfucker. Did anybody, you know, care to listen to me telling you every single time, you know, how to survive your next Zoom call meeting? Or to quit your job literally like every single episode? Uh, well, probably not, because I somehow still get jobs. <laughs> it's just extremely weird, trust me, for me as well. But yeah, also I started like, I start most episodes just <laughs> by doing this. By just singing, or just saying something like, who let the tits out? So, <laughs> trust me, they... Nobody does research. Nobody does any diligent research. Okay, unless you're like applying for, I don't know, Google or to become VP or some company of Apple or something. But even then, eh, what are the bets? Uh, if by any chance, like a VP of like Apple or something <laughs> has the counter information while listening to this podcast, because no, I'm very popular with with all the VPs out there, yeah, hit me up, podbam at gmail.com or pod on all the socials. I know, silly, silly handles. <laughs> and if you are not VP and you agree with me as well, you can also hit me up there. Hi, okay, you just went upside down, inside out. This is by all means necessary. Welcome, it's yet another Monday. You wish it was Sunday, but it's not. But I'm here to help out. Maya is the name. <laughs> Podcast is the game. Podcast that nobody opens from my signature. But they will, trust me. People will learn. People will learn. One day, people will learn how to say my name correctly. Okay, this is a long one. So let's just dive into the expression of the day and then continue with another consensual homicide. Okay, this week, I kind of... Nah, Freestyled a bit. You'll you'll see what I mean when we come to it. Let's not spoil it. Let's dive into the expression of the day. Although the whole point of this podcast is to try and nail down the motives, a lot of times when you listen to the cases before we go into that psychology part of it, you might think, wow, they're really doing this with no rhyme or reason. And that is why that is the expression of the day. Why? By popular demand. What, what does it mean? Well, without any logic, without any common sense. But where does it come from? Just like, as you notice the pattern by, by now, I think you notice every week, I don't even know how many expressions we went for, probably over 16, 17. But now, uh, there's a lot of beefing, as in like, who claimed this expression first? And here the beef is mostly between the English and the French. No, please, you need to listen to how French people pronounce it. When you see this spelled out, do you think this is what it's supposed to sound like? I would nail it, just like I would spell it completely different, what he said. Wow, 
That is powerful in French. Okay, well, the term did originate in French around the year 1475, and it started to be used in English around a century later. The unpopular belief that people will say it might not originate from there, but it's a cool story, is that Sir Thomas More was actually brought this manuscript by this expiring author. And, well, Sir Thomas More was the chancellor to the king at the time in the UK. And, well, when he was asked the opinion, he kind of was, you know, a bit like his nose was a bit up in the sky, was a bit like, and some shadow, like, a bit full of it. So he just looked at this work and then smirked and then asked the writer to turn it into rhyme. And then when this guy submitted him the, the second work that he turned into rhyme, Sir Thomas Moore said, guess what? Oh, that will do. This rhyme now, but before it was neither rhyme nor reason. But it might be likely that the origins of the phrase have something to do with bad poetry, because, again, of the rhyme part. Because before, when they would look at like badly rhymed words, it was at worst nonsensical. And French speakers said that that kind of poetry was... What was it? I already forgot how it was pronounced. Let's do it again. Sonrim de raison. I totally remember that. <laughs> this was supported because of the English speakers during the past centuries who were also fluent in the French. And then they simply borrowed the translated version of this phrase into their native tongues. You know, kind of like colonization. We just borrow each other's words, we just borrow each other's phrases, and then everything gets mashed up. And then it's beef, who used it first. But that's the story of the expression of the day, and uh, that is it for, for this episode. Just kidding, just kidding. So, before diving into the case, we have, like, a good chunk of did you know about Japanese culture, because today, for the first time ever, I'm bringing you to Japan to tell you a story about a popular case. You might be aware of this one because for time, and this is recent, you might have been seeing this guy's face, like a guy covering his face in like different cars all over Twitter. That's how I found out about it. But then I didn't know that it might have been connected to the topic of the month. And I was digging, digging, digging this week, looking at all these cases. I was like, oh my God, I might need to do the most famous ones. But then I figured, no, this is more connected to consensual homicide than I might have thought it was. Mostly actually now leaning towards the assisted suicide. But before we dive into that, let me tell you about, in particular, the culture of suicide in Japan. And we are diving into suicide facts, not just because I'm a morbid person, but in order for you to understand the larger concept of this story, and then it will all trickle down to when we speak to these perps' motives. So, did you know that Japan actually has the sixth highest suicide rate in the world? Not just that, but the part that I found particularly disturbing was that government stats showed that last year, in October, more lives were lost due to suicide than COVID claimed throughout the whole of 2020. This is wild. And we are talking, like, numbers in thousands. The monthly number of Japanese suicides rose to 2,153 in October, and when they did the same count, COVID toll was only 2,087 for the whole year. 
when it comes to gender, 70% of suicides in 2019 were male. And I will include this graph on YouTube because, of course, people and governments are aware of this and they are attempting to reduce it. But in 2020, there were 21,000 recorded suicides through the year. So lowest, when you think about on a monthly basis, lowest is around 1,400 suicides a month. Usually it averages around 2K, 2K+. Plus. Now this is compared to over 30,000 in 2011. So if you look at this graph, it kind of like was steadily going down. Well, by steadily, I mean by maybe like, a hundred suicides less each year. So, you know, like, is that really a substantial impact? Of course, it's like a hundred less lives. But then exactly in 2020, because of the pressure, because of COVID, it again started being on the rise. And as of 2020, the leading motive with 49% of suicides was health issues. But what governments aren't really focusing on exploring is they're making these categories too broad. So health issues can include mental health issues like depression, anxiety, or it can be physical issues. And they can't distinguish between the two. It just They just put it in one category, which is super broad. So it might be more useful to just make them more granular, to like make them less broad as categories for people to actually nail and see what the real problems are. This top motive for suicide is followed by financial or poverty-related issues, so such as debt, which is usually the common motives in the Western countries as well, or poverty, which was the motive in 70% of the suicides. This is followed by household issues, like disagreements with your family, standing at 15%, in the fourth place are workplace issues, such as relationships at work, with 10% of suicides listing that as a reason. And then last major categories are relationship issues, which again can be like a hundred things. The same with workplace, the same with health. That stands at 4%, and school stands at 2%, so like not achieving the results you are going for when it comes to school. And lastly, there is other, which is a 10%, which again, what is other? what falls under other. I'm not really sure how this data is pooled as well. It would be useful to like have less broader categories if they really want to tackle this issue. Because the problem that they have now is that, yes, it might be due to COVID that there was a spike, but this is already such a huge problem that it kind of needs to be tackled a lot more seriously. Why did I just bombard you with facts? Well, because one killer exploited these stats to his favor, and he managed to do it because of the country's tolerance for suicide. Now that you're familiar with the stats, we need to talk about this culture of tolerance that seems to be prevailing in Japan. And that is more of a general attitude towards suicide. Even when you think about like certain famous terms that you probably are only familiar unless you are Japanese or like half Japanese or something, because of the culture portrayed in movies, portrayed in series, these are again the terms that relate to it in a certain way. If you are familiar with samurai, for example, the Japanese warriors, well, in feudal Japan, 
among samurai, honorable formal suicide that's called seppuku, was considered justified response if they were to fail or be defeated in different battles. Seppuku is brutal, it's like slashing somebody's stomach open with a sword, and the purpose is to release the samurai's spirit upon the enemy, and by doing this honor killing, technically, because that's what it is, it is said that they are going to avoid dishonorable execution and torture in the hands of the enemy. Another word you might be familiar with is harakiri, which literally means belly cutting. Another reason why people are so tolerant, it is because they're kind of forced to be by this cultural tolerance of suicide that can be explained by this concept of amae, which is the need to be dependent and accepted by others. Meaning that in Japan, it is fake it until you make it. Like, you need to be accepted by the society in order to fit in. Otherwise, you know, people who are, like, quirky like me, no, I won't be having any friends in there. Like, what you mean? Like, I'm expressing my individuality. Like, I need to fit in. I need to aim to, like, achieve the highest successes and fit into the society. And this means that my worth, by default, is associated with how I'm to be seen by the others. So this can be potential for suicide as well, because you might feel alienated if you don't fit in suddenly one day, or if you don't share one single opinion with your friends group, which then might trickle down and lead towards the path of suicide again. And so it doesn't seem like I'm shitting on Japan. The government did establish a couple of things. It'd be great if you, you know, if you live there, if you have any idea of the culture because you did live there for a certain time, or if you are Japanese, if you get in touch to actually kind of dispel all of these things that I read on the internet or just tell us the real situation. I'll read it down to the pod. No problem at all. <laughs> like, I'd love to see something that's like a real life experience rather than, you know, just like what's out there on the internet in forms of stats. But according to the internet, in 2007, the government released a nine-step plan, which was this counter-suicide white paper. And they hoped to reduce the stats of suicide by 20% by 2017. In 2009, the Japanese government committed 50.8 billion yen towards suicide prevention strategies. And as I mentioned, the rates were declining. It seemed like they were achieving that, but then it kind of again picked up in 2020. So this very year, in 2021, the Japanese government appointed Tetsushi Sakamoto as the first minister to loneliness, to reduce loneliness and social isolation among its citizens. I mean, that is a cool, like, I'm a minister of loneliness. I'd love that. <laughs> I minister loneliness. I just tell you not to be lonely and you're cured. You're done. But one thing where I saw the gap and something that nobody seems to be focusing heavily on, that again the protagonist of the story today exploited heavily, is the phenomenon of suicide pacts or Shinju. So it has like a little tilde, it has like a little thing on the U, so I'm not sure this is how it's pronounced, but something along those lines, suicide pacts. And those are the pacts that are formed typically by strangers on the internet. Usually these individuals will go online and form these pacts to die by suicide at the same time, usually by the same method as well. Now that you have the cultural aspect of this story, let's actually dive into the core of it. 
Between August and October 2017, Takahiro Shiraishi used Twitter to lure suicidal women to his home, saying he can help them die. He strangled and dismembered eight women and one man, only to opt in for the assisted suicide defense. In this case, the victims will get justice, but this crime might just show how one killer can exploit the cultural ideation of suicide by all means necessary. What were his motives? have no peace in this house. I just tried to balance the freaking bottle cap on my huge ass nose. What do you serve for? What do you serve for? It's such a mistake because truly this nose has like the worst fucking smelling. If I shut my mouth, it's like the deepest breathing you have ever heard. No. What do you serve for? Why are you this large for no fucking purpose? Now that I have finished chatting with my own nose. Let's go into this heavily depressing story. In terms of the discovery and how the police actually even honed on on the fact that they have a serial killer on their hands, it is that the women started going missing and the only pattern were that they all made certain posts on Twitter as their last move before they went missing, saying something along the lines of that they're looking for somebody else to die with them. Remember the suicide packs? That's sort of what all of them were looking for, and in particular on Twitter. Just to mention, this case won't have any victims' names because of the Japanese privacy laws, which I genuinely... There are a lot of impressive things in this story. There are a lot of depressing things, but so many impressive things, and the privacy laws around victims are just one of them, where I was like, no, you you go Japan, yeah, you protect their names. Why would we want to know, like, all of these names if they died in a degrading way, and maybe some families just don't want the names to be shared? You know, a lot of people don't understand the concept of podcasts and us covering every single victim. (laughs) Trust me, I struggle with that, but yeah. Like, a lot of people just don't want their cases to be covered or just want to protect the victims' names until everything is completely done. Or just in general, completely. Respect. Put some respect to its name. Once his sister disappeared, a brother of one of the victims starts sleuthing and he is going online and goes onto Twitter and discovers the messages between her and this other user. He discovers the profile under a handle hangman and he kind of posts like on his own Twitter, like, listen, this was my sister, this is what, you know, she would be posting. Does anybody know of this man? Because she was chatting with him. Does anybody, has anybody even communicated with the man under this handle? And the woman, who was one of the followers of the hangman, actually volunteers. This case is truly sold because of these legends. This woman volunteers to actually get in touch with Hangman and arrange a meetup. Like, she's like, no, I'm gonna pose as bait, technically. I'm gonna tell him, like, yeah, I want to form this suicide pact. I want to die myself. I want somebody to die with me. What's important here is 
A, they immediately included police, which was super smart. So the police was immediately honed on. They knew what was happening. And it was kind of like a sting operation where they said, okay, as soon as you have the location, meet in a public place, and then we're going to go undercover and follow you to his house. The second important bit of information here is that they wanted to test what would happen even online if this woman withdrew her consent. If she just suddenly said, actually, I'm trying to back out, like, I don't think, I'm not sure of this, I actually don't want to do it any longer. And every time she tried to back out, he would say, well, let's just meet and see what happens. So he's trying to kind of swerve there so that he's not publicly just rejecting her consent, but again is technically exploiting this possibly vulnerable woman, even though she was just a bait here, which means that he has done it with actually vulnerable people, trying to get them not to back out, but to actually meet with him. And yet here we all know that is not just going to lead to them only meeting up and having a chat. The night of Halloween, so 31st of October 2017, she actually decides to go through with this and she arranges to meet with Takahiro at this station. The police assured her they're gonna be literally just walking like steps behind them, scout like to see where he actually lives and where he leads her. And I could just not imagine like the sheer panic, just Picture yourself in this freaking situation of this hero woman who volunteered to do that, but then you must be thinking, like, okay, what if he speeds up? Where is he leading me? Like, are they actually going to find me? Like, what if they lose sight of us? They have no idea where he's leading me. Like, it's such a freaking scary situation. Luckily, well, luckily in this case, because they're followed by the police, he actually leads her right to his flat. And at the door, immediately the police now kind of like intervenes, they take her away to safety, and they immediately start like questioning him. They're like, hey, we need to search your flat. You can see the picture of his flat if you're following on YouTube, or you can Google it, but you know, just check YouTube for visuals because it's already there. It's a really small studio flat. So you have the door, then on the left, there's a bathroom, and then immediately like within sight, like from the door, are just different boxes and coolers and yeah you know where that's going and then to the left you have just like a small kitchenette thing and then it's one of those studio flats like they advertise in london where technically the bed is the loft so you have like leather to climb to your own bed that's the idea i'm getting from this otherwise i don't know where this man is sleeping if yeah is he sleeping in this like fucking kitchen area like with these boxes hopefully not like this case is scarring enough we left the police at the door and they immediately from the get-go from just what they can see they see like boxes and boxes and the smell is foul but they also spot a bag that's a woman's bag like it's clearly not his own and they notice that it must belong to one of the missing women but at this point, the police is actually suspecting they're only going to find one person. They're like, oh no, it's just this brother that is looking for this woman. But probably by the smell, they can kind of gauge that it's going to be a lot worse than that. So they asked Takahiro, like, where is the woman? Like, where is this victim that we are looking for? To which he just coldly replies in the cooler and just points towards the cooler. 
I suppose now the lucky part of this police force actually takes him to the custody and then the people that just withdrew the the unlucky card of the day stay there to investigate and actually look inside this cooler. And when the police opens this cooler and like these boxes, they find not one, not two, but nine dead bodies in the house, all of which have been dismembered. There are three cooler boxes, five large storage boxes, and the police find heads, legs, and arms from the victims, and as many as 240 bone parts just stashed in coolers, toolboxes. All of them he sprinkled with cat litter to hide the smell, which that can't smell any better, but sure. And what I find, okay, this is going to be super unrelatable, but even when we covered Domer, like the part that... (laughs) I don't know if I'm this desensitized, but I have heard about like a lot of dismemberment stories. The part that pisses me off the most, somehow even more than the actual fact that you dismember the human being, which is like next level of this situation. Like, how do you get there? Just how do you even reach that point? I can do this podcast for like 20 years and still not know. But the part that you just separate these bodies like in all these different places, the anxiety that she just gives me, like that these like hands and legs and feet, like everything is overlapping. Nothing is like as a whole victim. Like this is not a fucking puzzle. Like what goes on through your head for you to actually do this? That's the part I find so disturbing. Like I have a freaking problem with like people spreading the ashes of their loved ones because I'm like, why? That's technically like dismemberment, like post-mortem. Because you're just like spreading all these different body parts in different parts of the world. Like, I don't like it. There's something that I find like extra wrong with that on top of dismemberment. Let me take a break as I'm raging. (laughs) I'm raging. Like, does anybody else feel like this? Or am I that desensitized that I'm like, no, dismemberment is the second disturbing fact on this list for me. Like, this is somehow like, even more insane. I'm done raging, for now. I will never be completely done raging on this topic, but for now, cool. The autopsy will later show that the bodies showed both signs of strangulation, but also some of them showed broken neck bones, and another one had bleeding patterns associated with choking. They're still on the scene, and they're just asking neighbors questions now, like, hey, why the hell would you not report this smell, first of all, fucking creeps? And they confirmed, kind of like in Domer's case, that yeah, they did feel like there was a smell of rotting flesh. But what will become apparent to the police and these neighbors, and you're not ready for this, if this dismemberment part got to you, he, Shireishi, would discard, so they had one of those chutes, right? Kind of like, what is her name? Phoebe Hansjuk, like one of those cases where, you know, you're like, hey, can the body really fit into into it? So like one of those chutes where you discard like the rubbish and then it kind of flies down to like the containers and then the containers are just like taken away to the landfill. So what I'm trying to say is that, remember how he kept mostly the bones inside of his flat? Yeah, most of the parts that would smell were the skin parts he would take and dispose into the recycling part of this chute, which again, 
nobody is okay. No, no, you cannot convince me that anybody in this story is okay. So he would take the parts that would smell, so the skin, from the bones, and then he would dispose of that. But then he would keep the heads and most of like the bones, the thighs, the arm bones in his flat. Next level. Like, I thought Domer was disgusting. After the autopsy, they concluded that there were nine victims, out of which eight were women, and there was a one man, all of whom were between the ages of 15 to 26. But now, before we look into what actually happened to him, what came in the aftermath, let's discuss the how done it. So let's discuss the whole modus operandi here. Takahiro had five Twitter accounts, one of which was Hangman, the other one was Hanging Pro, and from the vibe I got from like what I saw other people post, like screenshots of his accounts, they just they didn't have like a huge following, be like under hundred followers on like the ones that I have seen. So they were just there for a particular purpose, and that's for him to scout for women. He would post different tweets like it's not hard to hang oneself and if you can't help yourself, I can help you. He would have different bios on his accounts saying stuff like I want to die or another one, I'm a professional at hanging. When he was scouting for these victims, he would promise them that he will kill them and sometimes he would say, no, actually we are forming a pact. I'm going to kill myself with you so we die together. With one victim, he pretended to be a spiritual leader who could help those seeking to end their life. In another one, he would create a suicide pact. With other victims, he would say, if you are at a dead end, please consult me. He sought victims using the hashtag suicide recruitment while preying on young girls. Remember, the victims were sometimes age 15 as well messaging them directly the instructions and saying things like, let's die together. So he had like, he knew exactly what he was doing with each and every victim based on their posts, based on their tweets. So he was just targeting these vulnerable victims case by case. After he would successfully arrange to meet with these victims, he would meet them at the train station near his house and then would sort of walk them to their flat. At the flat, it was said his usual modus operandi would be that he would give them tranquilizers, alcohol, sleeping pills, then he would rape them, and then he would like choke them with a rope, strangle them, and then dismember them. He himself said that his motives were straight up sex and money, because he would also take whatever they had in their purse after... The event, just to add to the piece of shit that he is. He also did not help by actually explaining to the police his modus operandi, saying, There is no doubt that I sliced up the bodies in my bathroom with the intention of destroying evidence. Also, when speaking about his modus operandi, he said something that makes like zero sense to me. Again, it's triggering because it's about dismemberment. He said, I disposed of their flesh and internal organs like garbage, but kept their bones out of fear that I would be caught. Like, what true crime show did you watch, sir? Like, this ain't on CSI. This is not how you avoid being caught. Like, what? Also, let's say for a second that I'm actually downgrading myself to this freaking level. Wouldn't you consider the bones to be the least personal thing ever? It's literally just a bone. Like, it's bone and skeleton. It's just... What? 
But then he kept their heads as well, which is technically the most personal thing. I, I don't know. I'm trying to reason and I just can't. I'm just trying to process and I never can when it comes to this dismemberment of the bodies. So I just move on because I can never process this fucking information. He'd finally sprinkled the cat litter to further prevent a discovery. And later it would come to light that his first victim he killed in August, but then her boyfriend... You remember, he only had one male victim, and that was because that was not his victimology, that was not his target group. Her boyfriend started lurking around the flat, so he just probably invited him in, being like, hey, I actually have some information on your girlfriend, and then managed to empower him and strangle him and kill him as well. According to the Japan Times, he also told the police that the first time he dismembered the body, it took him three days, it took him too long. But then, from the second person on, he was able to do it within a day. Do you want a round of applause? Like, are you, you think this is great, admitting this to the police? But before we speak to his arrest, just again to start thinking about the motives, because remember he said he did it for sex and money, and he clearly didn't know how to get consensual sex because all of them were unconscious, hopefully just unconscious. I didn't read anywhere that he was a necrophile, but again, did he know whether or not they were dead at the time? He just wanted them unconscious. He also stole money from all the victims and raped all of them. So really, when thinking about the motives here, they all kind of started as assisted suicide. So there is that prevalence with every single one of the eight kills, at least. But then at some point, it started being about something else. I'm just saying I don't truly believe that this was just for him to actually manage to have sex with somebody or for him to like steal whatever was in their purse because he calculated certain parts of it. If he actually just wanted this, he would have the Domer situation where he would have kept them on these tranquilizers for days for them to be immobile. Or, I know this is morbid, but... Or he would have, again, because he was able to think clearly, arranged for them to maybe bring more money to maybe he would be charging for this kind of service as well. There were like a lot of ways where if those were his motives, he would have gotten more out of it because he was thinking clearly about every other part of his MO. So I'm just saying like afterwards you might change your mind about like what he is actually telling you the motives were and what might actually be the reality here. Now we are back to the point where we left it off in his flat. So he obviously gets arrested. One thing that I couldn't comprehend, and if you contact me about one single thing, it should be this one because I googled it and I couldn't find it anywhere. So Japan Times kind of does it chronologically. So you can go find like the archive of their articles. So when I searched through that, like every single one had like, okay, they served him like his second warrant. They served him his 10 foreign and i could never find what the hell does that mean like why do you get this many warrants like is it based on all of the different crimes so like rape murder dismemberment like is that what that meant because it was never clarified and i couldn't find it on freaking google and i was like 
what do you mean? Like, it's usually like warrant for arrest and then you have the charges. So if anybody knows, hit me up with that because I find that super interesting. But hey, after being served 10 warrants in 2018, he was arrested for the charges of robbery, murder, forcible intercourse, and was given a psychiatric evaluation by the public prosecutors. After five months of psychological tests, they determined that he is fine. He's completely mentally stable. I don't know. This is the part where I'm like, how can you be completely mentally stable and still snap out of it to the point that you're dismembering humans, deciding to take parts of their body and recycle them and live with bones in coolers in your flat? Like, how? How can he be completely mentally stable? But apparently I have to live with that as well in this case because that's what they decided. This case was big. It was big on Twitter because, well, you guessed it, they dubbed him the Twitter killer. Which uh, appropriate and also really bad press for Twitter and Jack Dorsey. He voiced his opinion. Don't even get me started. It will come to that. But over 400 people would queue up in front of the court every day for the 16 seats that are only allowed in the public gallery. And as for what was actually happening in court, well, his defense, of course, wanted him to get the lesser charge for murder with consent. Because we come to the nail in this coffin, we come to the topic of the day. Was this, to a certain degree, again, assisted suicide? So they were claiming that the victims did give him permission to get killed. So, again, what happened between the station and between the flat? Well, we don't have that in writing. And they, of course, really tried to push that he actually helped these victims. He was there to serve. He was there, like, as a concerned citizen with his five Twitter profiles scouting for these women. He was a concerned citizen who just wanted to help people die. At the beginning of his trial, Takahiro actually didn't contest, he didn't argue with the defense team. He was like, no, that's totally fine, like what they're saying, because they did express suicidal thoughts, and they, those suicidal thoughts, therefore indicated that they were willing to die. Of course, they also said, you know, yes, he did have five months of psychological evaluation, but, you know, there is temporary insanity. He could have just been in a state of diminished mental capacity, in particular during those murders. Yeah, you believe that? Cool. And every time the prosecution, who were actually seeking the death penalty for him, argued that the victims couldn't have consented based on his own testimony that they resisted while they were being killed, hence why he had to use rope in the first place, well, his own defense team (laughs) said, and wait, just, just wait, they said that victims couldn't do anything because the condition of their reflexes. Basically, we as humans are conditioned to resist death. So if somebody chokes you, you're going to try not to die. That's what they were saying. But then our boy, Takahiro Shiraishi, the Twitter killer, just tanked it, just, just fucked it all up. He actually went on a stand, which, trust me, first mistake, you don't. If you're guilty, you don't ever get up on a motherfucking stand. We have learned this the hard way. But no, this boy was overly confident. And then he said, he literally just got up and just fucked it all up for himself. So he said, no, the women actually didn't consent to like any of this. 
He said it was easier for me to convince people with worries and other issues and manipulate them to my way of thinking. And to just really drive it home, he said not just that, but he actually killed one victim while she was sleeping and another one because she wanted to go get food and stop at the game parlor. This is giving me such Domerish vibes where like he couldn't ever like even comprehend the idea of somebody leaving him. It's just like, oh my god, they're gonna go and they're gonna seek help and then I'm gonna get caught or like they're gonna leave me and I'm here like really possessive over this victim or rather gonna be possessive over her corpse, like what's left behind her. So he just tagged that and uh, he technically just confessed that there was no assisted suicide. This was all planned. If you are by any chance listening to this while driving, just pull over because this next part is like this whole case is just rage upon rage upon rage. You know how they give them the opportunity to say some words to like the families of the victims? This piece of shit actually stood up and thought this was going to be appropriate. He said to the victims' families, directed at them, I'm sorry for having killed some of the victims with whom I spent a lot of time and would like to apologize to these families. But for the others, I don't really feel a deep sense of regret. In any case, I'm sorry only because I failed when I got caught. If I wasn't arrested, I will not be regretting anything. Which, I mean, at least I appreciate the honesty. I know I get hated a lot for saying this shit, where, like, people are like, well, you know, they should have at least expressed regret. No. If they feel nothing, at least they should be honest about it. Do I think he should have fucking said it in front of victims' families? No. No. But at least he wasn't out there sobbing and, like, faking it all. Honestly, what 99% of these killers are thinking in these cases is, if I wasn't to get caught, I'd continue. <laughs> like, freely. Without regretting a thing, i just continue, and then if you catch me, cool, you caught me. But, like, up until then, I'm just continuing this process, because, well, he wasn't getting caught for three months. This next part, let me know what you think about it. So... He also said the trial, because he just never stopped talking, apparently, once they give him that stand. He said he wanted and deserved a death penalty, which I kind of think it might just be him talking out of his ass for the court to give him, you know, what they thought he deserved. So, like, if you say... So let's say he's out there saying, like, oh my god, I deserve a death penalty, I deserve the worst of the worst because this is how I'm behaving... But then he might be thinking the judge or the jury are going to like see this and be like, well, why would we want to give him what he wants? Like, let's give him life imprisonment. Like, let's not give him what he wants. Which, in the end, it's not how life works. You can say whatever you want. You're gonna get what they want to give you. This is not like some reverse psychology, which he probably thought like they're gonna think it was. Or I might be pulling this out of my own ass, and he might have actually really wanted a death penalty. But we'll talk about death penalty, because I don't truly think that in Japan anybody really wants it. It's popular among the public for certain criminals, but I don't think, like, as a criminal, you really want it. Teaser, teaser, teaser. Teaser alert. Finally, Judge Naokuniyano delivered the verdict, calling his crimes cunning and cruel and finding him guilty and fully responsible for his actions. He said none of the nine victims consented to be killed, including silent consent. 
So on 15th of December 2020, this is technically ripped from the headlines, he was sentenced to death. And the death penalty that I have teased you a second ago, well, in Japan, it is done by hanging. You go to the gallows. You're like, whoa, medieval England, that's the one. And Japan has more than 100 prisoners on death row. But the death penalty is usually reserved for cases like serial killers, but also some single murderers, as they call them there, can be executed if they have, for example, tortured somebody, or if they kidnapped for ransom. Now, America, because, as I cover last meals on my YouTube channel, you're very keen on your death penalty. You gotta learn. You gotta learn, because this is how you do it. What Japan doesn't do, and this is giving me so much joy for some fucking reason, they don't tell you the day of your execution. No. You can appeal, and then, like, after the last appeal, you need to be executed. I think it's, like, within six months, something like that. So you kind of know. But then, just imagine the kick you would get with, like, pieces of shit like this one. Or just any, like, serial killers where, like, you know you tortured someone. You know, like, you really, like, took it out on these victims for no fucking reason. Well, like, I, I bet these prison guards are, like, every day, it's like, hey... Okay, can you bring me Shireishi here? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I have a job for him. You never know. Is it going to be the day you're dying? Or is it just going to be like, hey, go clean the toilet? Do you know? No, it's just every day you're there, like, probably having a mindfuck of a day, being like, am I going to die tomorrow? Am I going to die? And literally on the day, they walk in, they tell you, today's the day, sir. And then they inform your family if they want to attend which is such a, like, why is America not there? Like, when you're obsessed with freaking death penalty, why? For the worst of the worst serial killers, they fully deserve this fucking treatment. Like, I would be fucking with those prisoners every single day. Like, you just pass by, you're like, hey, I have some piece of information for you every minute. Every minute of the day. Wouldn't let them live in peace. And some of them, of course, because of the appeals, are on these death rows for over 10 years. Fuck me there mentally every single day. Now let me just briefly scan the script to see if I missed something due to my fucking unreasonable excitement over death penalty for the first time ever. Yep, years usually can pass between sentencing and execution. They tell them, they give them the option of the last meal as well, and then they form their family. And yes, I was right, six months after the last appeal, well, the failure of the last appeal, they need to get executed. The typical stay on the death row is between five and seven years, and a quarter of the prisoners have been on death row for over 10 years. For some, they have actually stayed there for over 30 years. So, again, he can be, like, just mindfuck them. Wait him 30 years every single day. Mental torture. Just mental torture. Just for for all the shit you have done. What else came as the aftermath of this? Remember how I mentioned I will get back to the Jack Dorsey issue? Yeah, well, in response to this case, Twitter actually did update the regulations to stand staunchly, is that how you pronounce that word? I don't know. Against the promotion of suicidal ideation. And Jack Dorsey, the CEO, spoke on the case, and he said he was extremely sad, and Twitter would make sure that it is being used in positive and healthy ways. I haven't noticed no change. I'm on Twitter every day. I mean, I'm not on that side of the Twitter, so I hope that is correct, is it? So, in aftermath, Twitter amended the rules to state that users should not 
promote or encourage suicide or self-harm, which we know works so well. When you tell people what not to do, they tend to like very much obey the rules. Do they get flagged immediately to the police? That is my question, because somebody should probably be keeping a radar on these people who are just trying to exploit vulnerable victims. Yeah, somebody should probably just immediately like alert the freaking FBI or something. Also, this particular case pushed the Japanese government even further to expand the phone and online suicide support channels. Again, if you're Japanese, let me know if you have noticed any change in these. And as for as for Takahiro, the last we know of him, because this is again recent, he wants to, to meet an ordinary girl while he's in prison, yeah, and to get married while in jail. For what? For what? For She can't go there to visit you, sir. You can't do with her as you did with all of these other women. So for what, I say? Also, what delusions are these? That somebody's going to marry your ass after what you've done? Unfortunately, it would not surprise me. I don't have any hope in humanity when it comes to freaking serial killers, to be honest. So I can just wait for the update on this case next month. It's like, no, he's actually happily married in prison and the girl loves him to death. Like, oh god, please. As Bailey Sarian would say, get better idols. Like, just go and find people that actually want to sleep consensually with you and don't want to kill you. Like, I know it's hard out there to find the right person, but stop drooling over serial killers. Now, going into his background, because everything is going to become crystal clear when I tell you about this guy's passions in life. His neighbors remember Takahiro as a quiet child who was able to socialize with neighbors. The bar is just super low in this case. They're like, hey, he was able to communicate at a certain age. Let's give him a round of applause. At school, his grades were pretty much average. But as described by his teachers, he didn't especially stand out, but was not also a gloomy character. He enjoyed athletics and baseball and was said to be a good listener rather than somebody who would speak about himself. Boy, did that change. One other thing his friends recalled, though, was that he enjoyed playing this game, but he would choke out his other friends until one of them would collapse. And that's what he did, like, on the reg. Which, if you're doing it when you are young, it can be impressionable on a child. And then you grow up and you decide you're just gonna continue doing it. And you just need a willing participant. When he was studying in high school, his home life kind of fell apart. His parents divorced and his mother and sister moved out. And his high school schoolmates actually were kind of surprised by this because they said he was like inconspicuous, low-profile character and most of them would probably not even recognize him on the news when these crimes broke because he was just like that person that you just don't notice even existed in schools. He actually, from different sources, I actually got a gist that he even had a girlfriend at some point. So there was a woman who lived together with him for around three months, and she described him as unusually more gentle than ordinary people. But even she said he did have a morbid fascination with death and suicide. I guess because this case is so recent, people kind of can't differentiate anymore once it's just like interest in true crime and once it's actually, no, somebody's just on the dark side. Which is again why you need to be into true crime to be able to differentiate between these things. 
This girl actually said he would send her messages such as let's commit suicide together and once even texted her I have killed the hostess who said she wanted to die. And the former girlfriend or this housemate, whatever, she just dismissed it. She's just like, oh, it's a joke. We really need to start believing people when they tell us that they killed somebody. Not a single normal person, not a single one of my friends would ever be like, oh no, I killed the person. Like, that's not something anybody would normal would say as a joke or not. No, if somebody tells you I have killed a person, they have 99% of the time killed that person because that's not what normal people say. Believe them when they tell you they have killed somebody. So after graduating from high school around 2009, he got a full-time job at a supermarket, but then he realized his passion is kind of somewhere else. So he started working for this prostitution ring in Kabukicho district in Tokyo. And he was, a familiar word is gonna come up right now, scouting within the sex industry. So he was luring young women to the clubs in this Tokyo's red light district. And he would also use a familiar word, Twitter, to lure the victims. But then he got caught for this as well. He gets arrested now for sex trade, and he was actually just given a suspended jail sentence because he recruited a young woman for a sex shop, fully knowing that she would be pushed into prostitution. About this, he himself has said, I had a hard time making up my mind to do it, but I had done illegal things on a daily basis as part of my work as a scout, and had internalized the idea that it's only a problem if you get caught. Here we go again. The exact same thing that he said in court. He regretted nothing until he got caught, and then he only regretted getting caught. Remember that Rihanna song... Is it take a bow? The one with Chris Brown? Lord, that was the life. It's like, you're only sorry when you get caught. Oh my God, I felt that. Like, when that song came out in like 2000s, I was like, Rihanna needs to make music constantly. Like, she just gets us. It's like, yeah, they're only sorry because they got caught. Yeah. Go on and take a bow. Something that's interesting in this case, and I always look at, like, you know, who failed. Like, this could have, again, been prevented. He was, on Twitter, he got arrested, got a suspended sentence for what? Actually sending women into prostitution. Like, how do you not think that will escalate by a certain point? But also, his face was already on the internet. So several people actually took a picture of him as he was scouting for women, calling him a creepy scout. And one person was actually employed was his colleague in this same business, and she posted a picture with a caption, watch out for this scout. Things kind of started quickly going downhill from this point on after he was arrested. And around June 2020, he reportedly told his dad, I don't know why I'm alive. And him and his dad kind of had a normal relationship. Well, he would help him out at his workshop because his dad had like a car design workshop and would occasionally have dinner and drinks with him. And in August, he told his dad he met the love of his life and would urgently need to find his own space. Ding, 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 does it ring a bell? Because August is when he started killing victims, so that's when he actually moved into this studio flat with his dad as the guarantor on this lease that he was renting for apparently only $227 a month 
or 19,000 yen. So in August, Shiraishi moved to his 13 square meter apartment that the Japanese media is only three months later to start describing as the house of horrors. And that, ladies and gents, is the point of no return and also is the story of the Twitter killer. On a lighter note, before we just speak on the motives of today's case, I was going, because again, I'm on deep dive on freaking YouTube, I was going for like the Super Mario World, or I think they call it Nintendo World in Japan. They're gonna open one in the US, but obviously this Japan one is so geniusly made. Because <laughs> I remembered it now because we were speaking about yen and it also seems like super pricey. And I just find it bizarre how in certain countries, including mine, the currency is like not even a concept. It's just like we have the money that isn't like super valued. And then it sounds like when you say you're paying 19,000 yen, you're like, oh my god, that's such a ripoff, but it's actually like $200. And you're like, what? How can you even pay that much for a flat? But yeah, there was no point in that sentence. I was just very impressed. And after quarantine, I shall and I will go to the Super Mario World in motherfucking Japan, okay? That's the shit I live for. It's like, it's my whole childhood. The only reproach I have for it, if by any chance the organizers and the the people that created it are watching, is that you can't, like, jump into the pictures. I know, I know pictures can't, like, dissolve that they used to do, like, in those, like, Mario Super games. But, you know, that's that would be the cool thing. Because you can, like collect points and they make all of these different sounds but then why is there not like a swish sound and you can jump into a picture and then you're like in a completely different room in a completely different scenario what a missed opportunity trust the real fan that played the freaking game when the games look completely different in like the 90s and i'm like no i want the 90s thing do it better don't make it this 2000s thing with like fucking princess and luigi no luigi was not even present there god i love that game <laughs> so we proceed on to the motives of the day shireishi as we know claimed his motives were sex and money and he said he wanted to use the victims who were vulnerable to manipulate and sexually assault them to fulfill his fantasies and not having to worry about them denying the advances because they were not conscious that that part. I looked back at the Domer's case and like what I said were the motives there and that thing was all over the place. He had like about 20 motives. But there was something when it comes to him saying that in certain cases he would keep some of the victims longer. Like he actually even pretended that that was kind of a willing relationship, you know. And when it comes to Domer, like whenever his victims attempted to leave, well, he would kill them because he thought in his head that you know, when these victims would wake up or, like, their mind would clear from all of these tranquilizer sleeping pills, that they would be angry with him and that they would want to leave him. And he didn't want that because he wanted this to be a consensual, under inverted commas, relationship. And that's probably to a certain degree what this guy wanted because he clearly never had that properly because of his work and because of that he was probably a freaking weirdo all the way throughout high school so now that he actually finally had that well he wanted that to last as long as possible and then still regardless he knew how it will end and when it comes to dismemberment 
in Dahmer's case, we in particularly spoke about paraphilia. And here, Takahiro didn't actually expand on the sex part of the motive, but this is what I believe, like, really sexually motivated him, just again, because I can't explain it otherwise. Why the hell would you go into dismemberment of the bodies and keeping the bones, but not certain parts of the body? So I have a feeling this was something to do with paraphilia, which is the sexual perversion or sexual deviation. So he must have had some intense sexual arousal to either atypical parts of human body or different fantasies, like he probably had in this case. But going back to what this month's topic is all about, he heavily relied on the assisted suicide aspect. And that was the part of his initial defense, but was also the part of his modus operandi. He was scouting and targeting in particular that vulnerable group. And I think here it's more about the fact that, yes, maybe at a certain point he did want to form this suicide pact, and maybe in August, before his first victim, he actually thought, okay, no, like, I should probably die with one of these victims. But then, you know, just like with many others, like, once you get away with murder once, you kind of feel invincible. You're like, well, now why would I stop? Like, Because clearly he always said he didn't regret anything. He only regretted getting caught. So why would he, in his head, have stopped if he was not to be getting caught for this? So he just continued his scouting. And he, because he already scouted on the streets now and on Twitter before for a prostitution ring, he knew that this might yield better successes. Because this one is just online. Nobody sees his picture. His picture can be whatever he wants it to be, usually this like animated anime character kind of vibe. So he can be whoever he wants to be. Nobody knows how he really looks like. And he can just lure vulnerable people into his flat. But also, if we return to what we discussed last week with Chelsea Martinez's case, when we think about the balance of harms and dignity in this case, here there were really none. He did not care about assisting them in his suicide in a dignified way whatsoever. In fact, you could really say that he went out of his way to rape them, humiliate them and dismember them afterwards. And when talking about consent, remember how last week we discussed, you know, well, at least that consent should kind of lessen the sentence for the criminal because, you know, there was at least partial consent. But here we have, well, the complete opposite state of events because some of these victims did try to back out, if you remember, the one that was used as bait as well. We don't even know the extent to, like, how much they even consented as the first point, like, on the internet. But here we know that nothing of the sort was arranged. Like, they did not arrange anything that was to happen to them in his studio flat. So in terms of how the victim's consent actually affected the wrongfulness of the Perps Act, well, here it just didn't. So that's probably why at some point he decided there's not even a point for me to try to use the assisted suicide defense because I have clearly just exploited that part of it, but then they haven't actually consented to any of it. And when thinking about the intent in this particular case, I think we again have this ultimate yearning for authority, just 
ultimately desiring to be in control. He clearly couldn't get a woman to consensually be with him. He was probably giving people creep vibes just even from jobs that he was working. And just remember what he told his dad. He told him he found the love of his life. So again, like he was probably just painting a picture that he wanted delusionally for his life being like no i'm actually like in this great relationship with this person and then he needed to create that to convince himself that that is the actual truth which brings me to something that i have been thinking throughout this whole research and this whole retelling of that same research is that i actually cannot still believe that this guy is fully mentally stable it just does not sit right with me it just does not like even if you completely ignore the like dismemberment part, like which is just you just need to be completely disassociated. You had done it nine times. This is not even just like, oh, one time I have had temporary insanity, I have snapped out of it, I don't know what happened. But it's everything else with his modus operandi, like how he lured the victim, how he aimed and depicted his profiles online, like exactly the lines he was using, the fact that he, what we're going to come to next, fully exploited and just capitalized on the Japanese culture of suicide. That's the part where I'm like, yes, you were calculated, so that technically means you need to be mentally stable to a certain degree to do this but then for you to completely just immerse yourself in this scouting business to know exactly what to say and to exploit it to that degree where you're saying like I can help you or we can make the pact which are all known ideations within the Japanese culture it's just like you're either the most sane or the most insane person in the universe to, to be able to do this and achieve it nine times. But finally, what this case comes to is that there is one person that exploited and capitalized on the Japanese suicide culture. And I'm just wondering, is he the only person? Or have he just not caught them all? And even one is plenty, but you need to think how many other people are capitalizing on this. And how many of those 2,000 on average suicides a month are actually done in this assisted suicide kind of way, where somebody with a sick, twisted mind might have convinced and pushed the person over the edge? That's how you're ending this episode, like by pushing people over the edge. Listen, it's it's time for you to go into your next Zoom call and it's time for you to take the dismemberment of people's bodies out of your mind because we've had enough. We're leaving this in the freaking past. We're not going to have it for a substantial amount of time because I fucking personally can't stand it or process it in my head. But remember the, the first like the first topic of, of today, the fact that maybe your employers didn't really research your ass before coming in. Well, how about you test that in your Zoom call, yeah? Just ask, you know, your managers and stuff. Be like, oh my god, guys, did you know that I used to have a blog? It was called venomousmushroom.wordpress.com. And then they would be like, oh my god, Venomous Mushroom, no, we didn't know. Why did you name it that? What was the blog about? Was it a blog on mushrooms? And you're just there like, yes, yes, it was. Because you just know that nobody has even searched for it, even though it was on your CV for some dumb reason. 
<laughs> and it still is for some dumb reason. Because you just want to test people out. You just want to test them. Are they going to look you up? Or you just ask like, oh, guys, hi, do you know that I actually have a YouTube channel or a podcast? And they most probably would not know, even though, yet again, the Twitter or like that extra work that you do of content creation is on your CV. Because people simply do not give a fuck. They are just looking for specific skills and for you to maybe have done a job in a similar role. I have learned it the hard way. So why would I care about the grind when the grind doesn't care about me? Yeah, that is the moral of the story today. This was a weird Monday. Listen, the next one is going to be even weirder. Because next one, I I swear to you, I'm bringing you one of the most famous ones. You can place your bets on which one is going to be, but I'm done with the dismemberment of the body part, so... We gotta go back to King. We gotta go back to BDSM and to like proper consensual homicide where people have said, yes, I want to die and be debated in a less in a less controversial kind of way. It will never be less controversial. Well, well, yeah, don't promise them dreams, Maya. You cannot make consensual homicide any less controversial. It's it's a messed up month. It's it's heavy, it's wild, and you're here for it. Because what what do you do? By questioning your people, by questioning the motives for the consensual homicide, by questioning why the hell were you employed. Yeah, you keep making this world a better place. One motive at a time. <laughs> But fuckers, stay here after the 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 outro tune. Just just testing something. How about a round of applause? Yes, standing ovation. Oh, you look so damn right now, standing outside my house, trying to apologize. You're so ugly when you cry. Please, just cut it out. Don't tell me you're sorry, cause you're not. Baby, when I know you're sorry. <laughs> Baby, when I know you're only sorry when you got cold, you got cold. But you put on quite a show, really had me going. But it's time to go, curtains finally closing. That was quite a show, really entertaining. But it's over now, oh it's over now. Go on and take a bow. <laughs> My favorite part of this song is when she says, <laughs> pick up your clothes and go before the sprinkles come on. The sprinkles. It's like rich people problems. The sprinkles are going to come on. You're going to get wet. You better get lost before that. <laughs> Maybe when I know you're only sorry you got caught.